0: Go!
1: Friends, if you know that Lord that God will provide for you and protect you and take care of you all the way, I invite you to stand up. To stand up and respond to the invitation to worship. This is the day that our God has made. Let us, Let us rejoice and be glad. be glad. Let us rise up and seize our best selves. Let us use our voices to cry out: freedom! Freedom! Let us worship, worship, liberate God. Amen. Please continue standing as we sing our first hymn. Woke up this morning.
2: I invited on stage. Thank you. And... Good morning, everyone. How are you? Martha is not here, so we're doing message for all ages today. I wanted to ask... Hi. <laughs> I would like to ask my friends here on stage, what does this symbol mean to you? Amy Sarah can pass the mic around for anybody who has an answer. Yeah, what does it mean? Love. Love, Love. yes. And what does this
3: symbol you? Traumatized. Traumatized from washing dishes. (laughs) This,
2: my friend, could also mean love. You know, in today's story, we talk of the good Samaritan who walks on the street and spotted a wounded man on the floor and doesn't ignore him. Back in those days, Samaritans and Jews did not mingle. It was against the law. But this man did not worry about the law, but stopped and helped this guy, right? Like with this hand, with this gloves, we do get our hands dirty to help our parents at home with dishes or at <laughs> or <laughs> Or at middle, we get our hands dirty to make signs for our marches of pride or for our garden at uh, Puerto Rico, yeah? (laughs) Or we sleep on the ground in El Paso with our detainees, yeah? So what other way can we get our hands dirty, you think? Making signs, yes. And what else? Lisa, helping with our butterfly program. Yes. Yes.
4: Playing in the dirt.
2: Playing in the dirt. Yes, it's healthy. Yeah. (laughs) Anybody else? No. Good. So let us pray. Yeah. Let's stand up and pray. For those who know me, I am mostly comfortable praying in French. If you guys don't mind, you join us. Alors, Seigneur, Dieu de gloire, nous te louons, nous te glorifions pour la journée d'aujourd'hui. Donne-nous la force et le courage de ne pas avoir peur et de ceux qui ont besoin d'aide. Par le nom glorieux de ton fils Jésus-Christ, nous te célébrons. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and now we can sing. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs>
3: you are embarrassed because you know all those words and you didn't even have to reach back, right? You've been singing Mr. Rogers songs your whole life. <laughs> Tell the truth. It's okay. We're gonna make a support group for all the people who still watch Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street, okay? All right. Good morning, everyone. How are you today? It's so good to see you and I love the way we're filling in, you know, because it's earlier than it used to be for some of us, right? My name is Jackie Lewis. How many of you are here for the very, very first time today? Oh, that's great. Would you keep your hands raised? Uh, we would love to just say hi. Where are you from? Hi, um, my name is Alisa, I came to the New York area today, so happy to be here. Welcome, Alisa. Welcome to the New York area. We're glad you're here. Where are you from? I'm from Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Yay! Yes. Hi. Where are you from? Portland, Oregon, in the house. Where are you from? Washington Heights. Washington Heights. All the way from northern Manhattan, they've come. Are you from Washington Heights? Okay, where are you all from? Miami. Miami. Oh, Miami. See. Who am I missing? Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from?
5: France.
3: France. France. Bienvenue. We're so glad to see you. Anybody else? Yeah, where are you from, huh? Queens. Queens! Yes! <laughs> where are you from? Los Angeles, hello Gordon.? hi, hello. You and I are gonna have fun before this is all over. I can feel it, we're so glad you're here. We, I kidnap all the babies, don't be nervous. Um, so glad you're here, uh, just, a, just a beautiful summer day. Welcome back, welcome home. I know we've had some sisters in our community lost their auntie, so we're holding you in our heart. Patty and Sherry, we love you. Um, any of the things that you go through, we're going through it together, so we just want you to know that we care about it. Uh, today is Sunday, and we are going to have an extra special sermon from an extra special person who's on the pulpit. Who's that tall white man with the white shoes on on the pulpit? <laughs> that, is, that is my friend, Will. I've known you a while. Will Kritzman is the new senior minister at West End Collegiate Church. Yay! <laughs> and Will is one of these people that I don't know is a theater person, a fundraising person, a psychoanalyst person, a person of many gifts including preaching. So Will, welcome. Thank We're you. so glad you're here. Like I'm the first black and female collegiate senior minister in the history of our church 400 years, Will is the first openly gay collegiate minister. Just If you're online, we're so glad you're there. We're jealous, because we know we know you're sipping some lemonade. And so we welcome you. Wave to you. Wave to everybody online. We want you to feel connected to us, too, so uh, thank you for coming. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, we need two people to help with Butterfly today. Don't make me beg. How many? One. Now we need one. Who can help Gloria? <gasps> Daryl will help. Yay! Daryl's right here. Thank you, sweetheart. Appreciate it so much. Um, The census conversation that we had scheduled for today with Jorge is not going to happen today because he is stuck on Fire Island due to the big blackout. How many of you got blacked out last night? Are you okay? That was kind of surreal, wasn't it? Well, we're praying for you that your meat doesn't just, you know, spoil and all that kind of stuff. Um, but today we have a beautiful sermon talk back with Will. So we're going to go on the fourth floor and Will will talk back about his sermon. Doesn't that sound awesome? Anybody say amen? amen. Last week, finally, uh, Bertram and I had the like unholy task of announcing that he was not going to uh, be on our team next year. That is the hardest thing in the world to say. It's hard to say it together. It's right for Bertram to say his own words, because he's his own self. And we sent out in the eblast words from Bertram. So if you would like to see that, um, we've got those. They're in the back. They'll be in the social hall. And um, also the consistory can answer questions. We also put on this a couple of budget ideas, because y'all have really important budget questions. So we're going to have a congregational meeting, though, on July 28th. Please stay. It's so important to have you listen, share, voice, hear words. Bertram, can you come hug me? We're going to celebrate Bertram afterwards. I know he wanted some barbecue ribs, but that's not what's happening. We we, <laughs> we are going to have cake, though. <laughs> so we love you. Love you all. And we're going to miss you. Um, before you clap, hang on. Before you clap, I just want you to know that Bertram is going to be here on September 22 helping the cube. QBMM, the Cure Black Men are leading worship that day. Stand up, Cure Black Men. Stand up, y'all. Stand up. Come on, show me what you're working with. Yeah, yeah. Turn around, camera, how beautiful you are. Woo! (laughs) September twenty-second is that day. Bertram is going to say our benediction, and I know he's probably going to have something to say then. But right now, I'm going to put lipstick on him. Sorry, Jason, and um, and just tell you, in this hard moment, you have been such a love. You've been such a good colleague and such a good friend. Because this mess is hard. I love you. Thank you. Now a benediction. benediction, benediction. He got words, okay, thanks. thanks for her. Anything else that I missed? Um, we're gonna do ice real quick. This is an important thing that Amanda's gonna tell us about. Y'all know the mess has already started, right? Yeah.
6: Yeah, this is a, a horrific, scary time for our country. So we just wanna talk for a second about how we can be um, neighbors to each other and the best people that we can be during this time. So first of all, if you are feeling scared or threatened in any way, know that you can speak to any of us today. Will, Jackie, um, Bertram, myself, please come and find us and let us know how we can help you and how we can be there for you during these times. Um, People who are um, undocumented, we refer to as friends. And so if you know friends, um, there are ways that we can support friends, for those of us who are citizens. There are three um, easy things that you can do, and we're gonna have all of these handouts for you in the social hall, and also on the pulpit right after worship. But first of all, if you are in a situation where you see ice, or where you see someone being threatened, you need to get your phone out if you have it, and start taking video, and start recording what you're seeing. You also need to speak up, and you need to say, do you have a warrant? Can you all say that? Do you have a warrant? they have to have a warrant in New York City. And if there is no warrant present, whatever is trying to happen in that time cannot happen. And as a citizen of these United States, you are the person who can stand up and say that for someone who does not, who is not. You can also ask other citizens to stand and join with you. Do not escalate, do not do any harm, but also do not walk away. You have the privilege as a citizen to stand. At the bottom of these sheets also are numbers that you can call for a hotline. Then if things are out of your hands at that point, if people are persisting without a warrant, then you need to call this hotline and it's a 24-hour hotline. These sheets about how to be a buddy to our friends will be available also. As well as a I I Know My Rights sheet, and um, if, you are somewhat, if you are a friend, this is a sheet that you can take and you can also pass it out um, if you are a citizen to people so that they know their rights. These will be up there as well. There's also um, a thing going around in the world that you've probably seen which locates these houses of worship as um, sanctuary spaces and um, know that Jackie and I are in conversation with Will and all of Collegiate about how we can best be sanctuary during these times. Of course we are sanctuary. We offer um, meals for people on Mondays. We offer legal services. We offer pastoral counseling and prayer. We offer a place for people to come and sit. But there are specific things that we have to talk about as a Collegiate system, as five entities, in order for us to get on that map. And we wanna make sure that if we get on that official map, that our doors will be open in a way so that. That someone doesn't get here and they're closed does that make sense but please talk to us know that that's an ongoing conversation and know that every single person no matter what label anyone puts on you is a child of God and we need to hold that in our hearts and move forward with that thank
3: you thank you so much um, Amanda, thank you so much for your leadership on that. Thank you all of you who are volunteering around Sanctuary and ICE. So grateful. Um, I was at Wild Goose this week. Uh, Wild Goose is a word that's a, a euphemism for the Holy Spirit in Appalachia. Who knew this? Um, but there were about 6,000 people at Wild Goose this week. Um, Reverend Barber was there, uh, Brian McLaren, all kinds of colleagues and friends of mine including Marianne Williamson was there. We did a panel together. I had a chance to speak about what it means to be Christian today and pushing us past that. Um, I I say, I open with this prayer time to say uh, the collective grief of America right now is really on my heart. What I mean by that is As terrible as things can be, um, the the horrific situation inside the detention centers, not only here in Harlem, but all on the border everywhere. (coughs) No diapers, no bottles for babies. Men overcrowded, not charmed. Horrific. Flint still doesn't have water, clean water. Horrific. Poor people in Appalachia, poor people in New York. Poverty as a kind of systemic blight on our nation. Unbelievable. I saw a video of white people resisting arrest, which I had never seen before. It was a fascinating thing to see white people resisting arrest. I was like, wow, on the floor getting tased. I was like, oh, this happens. But but they were safe when it was over. Nobody was dead. And this is, we're in that anniversary time of Trayvon Martin's killing and Eric Garner's killing and the beginning of the hashtag Black Lives Matter and the movement it became. God, I can hardly talk about that. So, and that's horrible and we're grieving and that's hard. And when we're grieving, the Koreans call it Han, like a kind of a national sense of grief. When we're grieving, then the other things that happen that make us sad, make us sadder. So if we're grieving and Bertram's moving, then we're sadder because there's already sadness. Am I I making sense? Am I singing your song? So I'm sad and you're sad and the world is on fire and we're grieving. And often when we pray, there's just lots of words because we got words. And I just want to take a minute and let you have some quiet time to feel your stuff. Would that be okay? Dionne's gonna play beautifully because she always does. I want you to be in your own prayer closet for a little bit. Praying the things you're feeling. Lifting up to God. You don't have to have fancy words to pray to God. You can just say something like, Lord, help. Or or, God, can you hear me? Or interrogate my heart. Or nothing. Because before you speak, God knows what's already on your heart. Amen? So let's just take some time, have some quiet time, feel your feelings, pray your prayers, and then we will, I'll just collect us for just a little bit at the very end, collect our prayers, and we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together, okay? All right, let us pray. Thank you, Dion, for helping us pray. Thank you, Dionne. Thank you, John. Let us stand and sing, say together the prayer that Jesus taught us, disciples. Say it the way you know it, say it the way you learned it, say it in your own language, or use the inclusive version in the bulletin. For loving and holy God. special gift to share with one another. That's the peace of God that actually surpasses our understanding. Take time today to greet the people you don't know and give a special hug to Jason and Bertram. Peace be with you and also with you.
7: Evil lens, to make you its possession, and it will if we let it destroy. peace your treasure then you'll hear
8: Greetings from the hinterlands of West 77th Street where they are just getting started in worship and though it is as faithful and as wonderful, I guarantee you it's not as joyful as you all are down here this morning. We send our very best and most proper wishes to the good church here in the East Village. Our scripture today comes from the community around the writer that we call Luke. This is the 10th chapter beginning in the 25th verse. Listen anew for what God may have in store for us today. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, quoting two different books of the Torah, combining two different commandments into one new commandment. The man says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor, your friend, as yourself. And Jesus said, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer went on and he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him naked and half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, well, he passed by on the other side of the road. So likewise, a Levite, which is to say someone well acquainted with what is holy and right and pleasing to God, well, when that Levite came up to the man, well, he passed by on the other side of the road too. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan while traveling came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds He poured oil and wine on them to cleanse them and disinfect them. And then he put him on his own animal and he brought the Samaritan to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii of his own and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God. Thank you. You're allowed to talk to me. I don't know that my congregation Uptown knows that, but I'm just gonna give you explicit invitation there. Hi, all. So, this, this is the story that Every Sunday school child knows as the Good Samaritan, right? And many of you know this story too. Do you know what word isn't in the scripture? How closely were you listening? Pop quiz. What word of the Good Samaritan story isn't in the story? Disinfected. Disinfected is right. That was a little uh, exegesis to help us all understand why there was wine being poured on a man on the side of the road. <laughs> what other word is not there? A more common word. Good, good is not in the Scripture. The Samaritan here is not called good by Jesus. Good is an adjective that has been invented by the centuries and cemented into this text by the American Protestant work ethic. It's not in the text. And this is a problem for how we think about this story. The problem, the problem comes when humans start singling out something or someone as good as by specifically saying that something or someone is good, we're implicitly saying that some other things or some other people aren't. If this is the good Samaritan we hear, well, then surely some ears, probably more ancient ones than ours, though we could think of other groups of people that we might single out as, well, that's a good one. Other people would have understood that good must be noteworthy compared to all the other Samaritans who must... Well, because this one got a description, those other Samaritans must be bad. So the problem when we get ourselves into the good-bad binary is that good people cannot do bad things. This This is the truth, right? And bad people, well, they're not inclined to do any good. We know of the good Samaritan, but this is a bit of whitewashing of the rest of the Samaritan's identity. Now, you see, historically, the Samaritans were a race of people largely considered evil or renegade by the Israelites in Jerusalem. They kept to themselves. They had their own worship space, not in the temple. And over centuries of adaptation and, quite frankly, having to do it for themselves, they developed a practice of Judaism that was neither better nor worse than that of temple Judaism. But it was, indeed, quite different. In her book that I know many of you have read, Robin DeAngelis speaks of the problem of the good and bad binary. She talks about it in our own modern-day racism. In White Fragility, D'Angelo writes that the good-bad frame is a false dichotomy. As if, well, she writes, I think of myself as a good person, I cannot possibly do something bad. And instead of focusing on my own actions, like, say, the priest or the Levite in the story should possibly do, Instead, I must defend my character. And that is where all of my energy will go. The good Samaritan. The Samaritans were a race unlike the ancient Hebrews. Due to their capture and enslavement by the Assyrians in the 8th century BCE, by the time of Jesus, they were largely a mixed race people, half Jew, half Gentile, which to the ancient Israelites in Jerusalem, could not possibly have been any good at all. Thus, the tradition is not that the Samaritans as a whole could be good, nor even could one among them do something good, but this one, this one specific one in this story, centuries of tradition have lifted up and called good. The good that isn't in the text, that has been written in by our oral tradition. This is the continued othering of all the Samaritan people, a people I'm willing to bet very few of us have actually met. And yet our tradition by what we say that isn't in the text and by what we don't say that is in the text preserves the racial distinction between good Hebrews and bad Samaritans. And while signaling out a good Samaritan as a token, an anomaly, someone whose good actions, well, we allow our own expectations to be surprised. Now the community around Luke had a great interest in talking about what individual people, whatever their background, could do to become righteous before God. See, Luke is the gospel of Jesus Christ for all people, Jews and Greeks, men and women, throughout the Luke takes as one of his primary goals the task of expanding the Jewish Messiah sent by the Jewish God for the Jewish people. That's the story of the Gospel of Matthew. Luke takes that story and expands it into one that is available for all people. Now, throughout Luke, there is a story, there is story after story of God's surprises. And Luke is thoughtful to turn many expectations on its head or at least to call them out. Luke Alone among the Gospels begins with a conversation among women, not exactly what you would expect to find 2,000 years ago when dealing with the Son of God. But it is Mary and her cousin Elizabeth discussing their pregnancies that first name the mysteries of what is about to happen. It is out of a woman's mouth that the Magnificat is sung. And Luke is also skilled at subtly undermining the positive biases we have as well. Note in our own text today that the lawyer, I love this, and apologies to any lawyers in the room, but the lawyer gets the right answer. Well done, everyone. Jesus praises him and gives him a gold star for a perfect answer. But note in verse 29 what that lawyer then does. Verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked another question. The A-plus Jesus gave wasn't good enough here, and the lawyer, a sort of know-it-all by definition, presses on. (laughs) We know some of these people. He doesn't ask a clarifying question to help the people around him understand more. He doesn't ask to understand God's righteousness or love. Rather, the good lawyer, the well-educated, studied, fully employed, upper-middle-class, nice guy devoted to doing justice, he wants to justify himself. Now Luke notes here and elsewhere the tendency of the righteous to seek to justify themselves rather than pro- focusing on God. And we all know what this feels like, right? We've all been in a meeting or a classroom or a talk back or a seminar where someone, maybe it was us, asks a question that isn't really a question, but is meant to show how smart or righteous the person is, that they're really there to show you that they know as much as you. It doesn't point to the bigger question in the room. It doesn't talk about the reign of God. The posturing of the lawyer here in Jesus' parable is recognizable to all of us because we know some of these know-it-alls, these mansplaining behaviors so well, and friends, it's exhausting. And to answer his question, Jesus tells a parable where those who are thought to be righteous, the priests and the Levites, fail, while one of those good-for-nothing Samaritans surprises us by doing good. How often is the lawyer's behavior our own tendency today? How often are our own cultural or systemic biases surprised by the basic humanity of one individual's faithfulness and God-centered response? How often do we use these expectations, these us's and them's, to uphold the inequity in all of our systems? This one Samaritan's actions, while good, do not immediately erase the centuries of racism against the Samaritan people. This one lawyer's egoism doesn't suddenly take away his high social status and privilege. The acts of the individual of individualism may not be what we expect from those people, But when focused on individually, they do little to change the bias, the prejudice, or the cultural inequity. Every time we refer to to this single Samaritan man as the Good Samaritan, we are unconsciously reminding ourselves and building up the belief that all the other Samaritans are bad. Replace any group of people for Samaritans. Friends, this sort of individual exceptionalism when faced with cultural oppression has no part in the building of the reign of God. Now this past week, I'm gonna share a little bit about what's been going on up at West End. One of our deacons, which is to say, one of your deacons too, as we are all together in this collegiate soup, she sent me the results of an AP survey that was conducted in May, just two months ago. The headline of the data point that I'm going to talk about says, Americans back more diverse clergy. Poll finds that most Americans who profess a faith are open to allowing women and gay men to join the clergy. My immediate response, given our own clergy structure up at West End and also here today, was thank God. (laughs) Among the data, 68% of mainline Protestants and 78% of evangelical Protestants think women should be allowed to be clergy. Interesting that the evangelicals are beating us, right? Meanwhile, 70% of mainline Protestants and only 34% of evangelical Protestants thinks gay men should be clergy. That's not a real surprise in the evangelical set. And while our deacon was right to send this to me in celebration, and there is indeed much here that we should celebrate, this data is not without its problems. First, that mainline Protestants are more okay with a gay male pastor than with a female one tells me that our work in toppling patriarchy and combating sexism is far from done. <clears throat> Second, while the survey sample was most likely statistically diverse given the source, I'm going to bet that the woman pastor imagined by those survey respondents was white. And the gay man imagined was probably not also white, but he was cisgendered, heteronormative, and you know the kind of guy's guy who can say things like, I'm just like everyone else, bro, I just happen to be gay. (laughs) There are other problems in this data set too, other questions that I think we can all see how the good-bad binary gets preserved of the us and of the them and the tendency, just like the lawyer talking to Jesus, of clinging to our own righteousness rather than naming and owning our own privilege and the work that still needs to be done. The Samaritan wasn't any more good because he helped the man in need, but he was all the more human. Human more than good or bad is a category to which we can all belong, and in which each of us might claim a complicated, non-binary, multifaceted identity, an identity of both and of neither nor of contradictions and of specificities. Two weeks ago, many of us celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots that are now commonly called Gay Pride. And the Heritage of Pride march, in which you all had a beautiful float, and in which many of you eventually marched, and which some of us from (laughs) Collegiate also marched, was a wonderful celebration of the rights that have been won. It was also an exhausting, poorly managed, too long and bloated expression of many, many things. And on that same day, the Queer Liberation March and Rally, which initially began... Go ahead, yeah. It began as the Reclaim Pride March and which stemmed from similar community-based organizing efforts to those that were led by Marsha P. Johnson and other fierce queens in the 60s, that were led by those amazing men and women who who formed and plastered our city with ACT UP posters in the 80s and 90s, that were led again by Gays Against Guns just a few years ago, that march sought to remove capitalism and police presence from pride in order to continually focus, just as Jesus does, on the needs of the least of these. I joined that rally in Central Park two weeks ago, and I witnessed the stories and needs of communities within the LGBTQ world that are most in need. And here in New York City, as the longest pride march in history made its way down Fifth Avenue, these communities, well, the communities in Central Park, they were not the L's or the G's. They weren't the white ones. They didn't have corporate sponsorship or fancy wristbands. But the T's and the Q's and the gender nonconforming and the HIV positive and the black and brown ones who don't have access to higher education, nor do they work at large companies with diversity and inclusion mandates. And I've been thinking about what these two marches have to say to one another, what their expressions are, and what it is that they might have to say to us. And there's a lot of theology still required to process these expressions. But one of the chief things on my mind right now is the racial and class differences between the two gatherings. Again, the words of Robin DeAngelo are helpful. Whiteness, she writes, has psychological advantages that translate into material return. Now, not while, while not all of the heritage of Pride March was white, and not all of the queer liberation rally was people of color, there was indeed a divide. A divide that said corporate sponsorship and material returns and public awareness and rainbow capitalism in one direction only. Now, one of the things that feels really true to me is that whether on that road way back when that Jesus imagined where a brother was beaten and left for dead, or on either of those avenues just two weeks ago where countless siblings marched for life, our expectations of what or who is good and what or who is revolutionary or renegade or rebellious or other, well, those expectations hold fast what Middle Church knows, what all of you know, and I know this about you, and I'm not even here every week, you know that you love changing and challenging expectations. You love taking a word like revolution, which can be difficult for nice, good, white, straight-acting folk, and love, which let us also interrogate, love can be difficult for people struggling to make basic ends meet, or for those who have been told time and again that their love is abhorrent, or for anyone who just hasn't found the right to match, or for someone who has been abused or neglected, or who suffers with mental illness, you put words like revolution and love together. Revolutionary love is your queer act of challenging expectations and calling for something better. And my God, friends, it is beautiful. It's exactly the sort of queering that Jesus does time and time again throughout each of the Gospels. Now, Jackie, already told you, I am the first openly gay senior minister in the nearly 400 year history of the Collegiate Church of the city of New York. And at the same time, I can pretty much guarantee you that I am not the first one to know what a stubble on stubble kiss feels like. My privilege is that I get to be gay openly and that my soon-to-be husband is loved by my congregation and that every child that walks through those doors know that they will be loved just as they are whoever they will become. I have this privilege even as I still hear phrases expressing the concern that I might make West End Church gay or a gay church. Or that, you know, this is, this is my favorite response. Well, you know, we've always welcomed everyone. It doesn't matter that you're gay. I have this privilege even when for every day, friends, every single day during my first several weeks at West End, I heard some version, I heard some version from some well-meaning person in my congregation say, but we've never had a gay senior minister before. Women and people of color, other people, Samaritans, who have had to struggle to be seen as capable and individual. They know how undermining these statements can be all too well. For a good little white boy from the middle-class suburbs, I had no idea that there were any glass ceilings left for me to crash. That was also my privilege. What I know now is that there but for the grace of God go I, and I give thanks every day for the gift of gay and the call to queer that God has given me. I am also determined that in times like this, Times since the election of 2016, times of disparate marches and the normalizing tendency of both patriarchy and capitalism, the kind displayed on every corporate float filled with shirtless white men, that it's time for me to personally get gayer. It's time for me, and indeed for all of us, to queer more expectations. Jesus loves queering expectations. He has no use for binaries and his ministry is one of breaking them down. He takes us beyond good Samaritan or bad priest and calls us to what is fully human. Fully human, which for Jesus' own queer identity is also fully God. Jesus is the essence of the both end, of the neither or Jesus is inter and trans and multi and every and all and specific. Jesus in his own time and Christ in all time will not abide any box or any label or any normalizing tendency. And friends, faith doesn't have to either. We don't have to either. Rather, we are all called to be more queer like Christ, We can take all of our identities and our struggles and our privileges, we can take all of this in order to become more fully human. And thus, through Christ, more in the image of God. Friends, the queerness of Christ's ministry is that Jesus came to offer life and life abundant. Abundant knows no boundaries. It knows no binaries, but is a wonder of queer diversity and of table-turning revolution. In just a few moments, we're going to watch a video about some of this movement that Middle Church is leading. The question is, will you join this movement? Are you ready to get a bit more queer, to defy a few more expectations, celebrate a bit more diversity, and, well, to think of all the Samaritans rather than just the one as good, good in the image of God? good in the queer eye of Christ, good for all of us, good for humanity, and good for God.
3: This month, Middle Family, for all the amazing work you've done. That's a visual representation of our work for this last year and a half. Um, the ushers, uh, as my mom and dad would say, the ushers are now going to come by you, <laughs> they did, and, uh, and, and invite you to give some offering. Well, Dion, in the band play some music. Thank you.
6: God, for the gift of being fully human, we give you thanks for our humanness that brought us here today and that called and moved us to give something, something of ourselves, something of our spirit, something of our pocketbook. Thank you. And God, now we trust that those things that have been given, tangibly and intangibly, will be used to create this beautiful, loving, peaceful, queer reign of God on earth. Amen.
8: Amen.
9: Take a look in your bulletin, my friends. I'm gonna live so. I'm gonna live so. The smile. Some of you look so serious. Some of you look like so serious. Can I just see a smile? A little smile. A little smile. The, uh, oh, there was! I saw it all in the back. Yes. 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 It's it's not a sin to smile. You can actually smile and sing and just say, I'm gonna live so. Here we go, middle, and I'm gonna live.
1: Middle, if you would be so gracious as to take a seat while I offer a benediction, which is a good word, which is really just a word of saying thank you. Thank you for these past few months of opening your hearts to me and to Jason and inviting us into deeper relationship with you. Also, has everyone seen my husband, Jason? He, he's my stubble stubble kiss. So. But friends, we know that we're in a time of transition. We're in a season of change. And people come into our lives, and you've come into my life in such a meaningful way, and I'm so grateful for all the things you've shown me about radical love and what grace and power and strength and standing up for truth look like, each of you in your own way. But also in the season of change, we know this other thing. That God does not change. That God is love. And that God's love is here for each and every one of us. And regardless of what happens in our lives, of life and death, of we can be at the highest heights or the deepest depression. We can be encountered by powers and political administrations and blackouts and all the things that happen in our world around us. But there's nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God. And that's the love that empowers you to radical love, to transformation of not just the city or this block, but the world around us. And I pray that you hold on to that love, and I know that you will, in light of all the transition and changes that happen in our lives that we're experiencing now and those to come, that I pray that you would know that God's love is the center of who you are. And that's the love that sends you out today and that sends you out tomorrow to be the people of God wherever you are. Middle, may you be blessed to do this work that God will empower you and send you out for all the seasons of your life, all the seasons of love, and all God's people said, Amen.